Hi, I've taken a brief moment away from my very important work of recording cover versions of all of the UK entries to the Eurovision Song Contest to be here with you for this time that we share every week. If you think I'm joking about those Eurovision covers, you've got another thing coming because mm, that is going to be my like love bomb campaign to the British public to say, let me enter. I can win. We deserve this. Come on. We have to send something good because it's like, you know that thing where you break up with someone and then you have to get really hot before you next see them again? You have to get that. I think they call it like a revenge body. We have to do that, but like for Eurovision. We have to show up looking like amazing and being like, okay, so you might have thought we were struggling, but look how we're doing. I mean, we will be struggling, that's the thing. Like <laughs> in every real sense of the word, there will be a lot of struggle, but at least we can look cute for Eurovision. Am I right, ladies? way suffering and playing became the same i was pathetic playing reckless with a man who couldn't even spell my name after six months because the desire to be part of something to be loved even if it wasn't real was one hell of a drug acting as if it was only every now and then that i fell apart but it was every time i used to spend my nights falling from my own expectations calling your name into the empty night, paying the stars to sing to you as you dreamed, but you pretended not to hear. Darling, please don't go was all I could find in my throat and I hated myself because there I was throwing the same gentle premise to a man who couldn't keep a promise, watching the dark become day, searching for freedom in a prison. And it's been so long now since I was hopeful for you because I am so much more than I used to be for you. And I need so much more than for you to appear every now and again, life's cruelest magic trick, absent until my heart had moved on and then crashing back into my existence as if I owe you any of my space. And I need more than you could ever be. Sometimes I still find myself on the backseat of the bus that goes from my former home to my former haunts, obsessing over the ways that one less bell to answer could answer why you only love me some of the time. I haven't been to that side of town for what feels like a century. I still smoke cigarettes properly the way you taught me, but these days I chain smoke as I consider my life with someone new. And it isn't that I love you. Actually, sometimes I don't think that I ever did. I think of you more so than many because when you left, you left nothing. Scorched earth, desolate destruction. And I won't say that someone else rebuilt me, even though I want it to be true. Because then I don't have to remember the endless nights alone trying to remember that I am worthy of love. I don't have to remember that it took me so long without having felt it in years, to know that one day I would be loved. Knowing that when I next saw love in its many forms, I would recognize it for real, and I would hold it in a way that you never held me. 
because maybe I can love and I can be loved and you were just months of mistakes and miseducation. I can love. I can live. I am more than you left. My earth is scorched and scarred, but she is mine and she is loved. And I scream this all at you, not because I miss you or because I still need you or because I still want you, but because there is a girl. There is a girl I left behind and I want her back. There is a ghost that you keep locked away. And I stand here outside her isolation, asking her to come to the window. Though she feels she cannot even stand from your bed without your support, I need her to know that she survives and that she lives and that she will be loved. One day, not by you, but by someone who can. Because I am loved kind of love you were never capable of, the kind that texts me in the morning just because they miss me, the kind that stays on the phone when I'm in the car with a stranger so that they know I'm safe, the kind that knows from the way that I type that I need to be held until I forget every misspent moment, the kind of love that has found her, even though I thought she was lost forever kind of love that drew a ghost girl from her cage to the warmth of the window and the hope that it held, the kind that made her jump, flying down to the floor, her hair wild in the wind, her eyes bright as she smiles, knowing that this time the earth is sweet and safe, love will catch her and she is free. spent sort of the better part of a decade (laughs) grieving for parts of myself that I thought were lost forever (laughs) um I talked about this actually it was I think kind of the beginning of last year I talked briefly about this um Like there, there were. Because when when you when you have. A relationship with someone, just generally. Things that you share, things that you. You have with that person. Sometimes it's painful. To look at those parts of yourself after. But if the relationship is very negative, it's even harder to do that. And sometimes it's just easier to let those things go, to walk away, to avoid those parts of yourself so that you can focus on just trying to salvage some of yourself (laughs) as you move forward in your life. And... So I I had that. <laughs> um and it was very difficult to 
you know, to accept losing myself in a sense. Um, but being in a new situation, I mean, during the process of writing this project, this reflective project where I look back at my life and my misadventures, um, it kind of reminded me of a lot of things. And I saw myself in a lot of different ways. And some of it, some of the looking back and the nostalgia, it was nice, it was cute. It was like, oh, this is fun, this is great. But in some of it, I look back and I feel genuine, genuine grief, almost remorse for allowing things to happen, allowing aspects of myself to be lost, allowing things that I cared about to be changed and made different. Um, and it was hard to to go through that almost again. Um, <laughs> I've I've been working on this since about um, sort of April May of last year. So it's been a, a long situation. Um, but then, sort of in the later half of last year, kind of um, finding somebody that I really connected with, finding someone that I really cared about, learning to to trust other people with myself, learning to um, to allow somebody else to be a part of my life again. Um, it was difficult, but it also It, it, um, it kind of, it was like it gave me the strength to find the parts of myself that I had lost. It was like I could go back and I could, I could find her. And I know that that doesn't make sense because, I mean, these are not things that exist in a material sense in the real world. There is not an actual girl locked in the attic of, you know, somebody's house 
Um, <laughs> uh, she's not really there. But the things that I loved about her, the things that I let go of, um, you know, the optimism, wanting to believe in things more genuinely, um, wanting to love somebody. Those things that I had been afraid of, things that I had hidden away, I say that, you know, she was locked away by other people and kept away from me by other people but in a way it was kind of a collaborative thing I kept her away too because I was afraid of what it meant and to be able to in a sense go and rescue her and to be able to feel that way again and also to look at it from the other side and to be able to have a relationship that is genuine and You know, I mean, I, I guess that's something that comes from, you know, from experience and from life, which kind of sucks, but there we are. <laughs> um, but being able to look at it and say, you know what, this is how it was supposed to be. And to be able to tell her that and embrace her and say I'm sorry that I left you behind I'm sorry that I stood there with him and I locked that door and I left you there because I I didn't I didn't know how to protect you I didn't know how to keep you safe you know and it's it's like forgiving myself for allowing myself to have had those experiences um and saying you know what it does work out it is okay we made it. You bring the sunshine, I'll bring the good times. Just adding your laughter, it's happy ever after. I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me. Pete Waterman's knocking on my door. 
Pete Waterman's ringing my bell. But, I mean, he's going to be like, why are you using my songs about licensing? I'll be like, Pete, babes, firstly, I came last place. Secondly, come into the house, Big Pete. We have many things to discuss about my Eurovision entry. Come on, man. We're both songwriters. Let's do it. Let's do it. It'll be a laugh. Come on. One more time for the road. Let's get that Revenge Body song out there. Let's show them that even though we are Brexit struggling, we could still be cute if we wanted. What the actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business? Well, everyone really needs to stand up and say, OK, no, this is not politics in the normal British way. This is something darker and bleaker and it's got to stop. Peace is possible and must be achieved. We want Scotland to remain inside the EU and we want the UK to remain inside the EU. Labour is weak and divided and completely unable to offer any sort of opposition to the Tories. And I say, I say to all the doubters, do Okay, you know what? I have to talk about this now before I forget because, girl. So, Momentum, which is basically a pressure group within the Labour Party for kind of... I think it started as a pro-Corbyn group and has since developed into basically um, pushing uh, left-wing ideology within the Labour Party. Which, I mean, that makes sense. Labour's a left-wing party, stands to reason. But Momentum have quite a reputation for being... intense, I guess we could say. They, 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 you know, they don't have a good reputation is my point. Anyways, um, so they put up this video on social media because they are backing Rebecca Long-Bailey for the leadership contest. And they've put up this video basically saying all the other parties have had female leaders, but we haven't. We should do something about that. We should elect Rebecca Long-Bailey. I have some problems with this. Firstly, these these kids are out here acting like the Labour Party has never had a chance to elect a female leader and never had a chance to support a female candidate. They have multiple times. They just never chose to do so. Um, so I, <laughs> I had to laugh. I had to laugh. Secondly, okay, have they ever thought about why there's never been a female leader of the Labour Party? Have they considered that? I can tell you, okay? <laughs> Firstly, if you look at the way that the female candidates in the current leadership contest have been treated, even people who align with these women politically entirely, there are some people still abusing them in very misogynistic ways. It's very, very obvious. Um, people picking apart their appearance, people targeting them for things that they are not going after male candidates for. And that is coming from within the Labour Party. And this is not a new thing. Pretty much 
you know, <laughs> as long as I can remember being politically engaged and politically active, it's something I've always noticed. The Labour Party, despite having a, a progressive reputation and a progressive label, there is a very obvious problem with misogyny in the Labour Party. I think a lot of people in the Labour Party delude themselves that because they're left-wing and they're progressive, it doesn't matter. Um, the same happened with anti-Semitism. The same also happens in the Labour Party with things like homophobia. Um, and it's not to say everybody in the Labour Party is anti-Semitic or homophobic or hates women because that's not true but a lot of people that are and happen to be in the Labour Party will make excuses for themselves and will also find people that will make excuses for them and that's a problem and that has contributed to the fact that they have never had a female leader um the closest they've got I guess uh Scottish Labour has had a female leader um, and a couple of acting female leaders and pretty much every single time misogynistic abuse every single time every single time and people would you know justify it and argue oh no you know people don't like Kezia Dugdale because she's a moderate people don't like Harriet Harman because she's a moderate and it's like okay but then why why are you filling their mentions picking apart their appearance or calling them bitches and stuff that that doesn't seem to be anything to do with their politics that seems to be that you have a problem with women and th th this is an issue that follows labor and like i said it's not everyone but a lot of people in the labor party are not willing to recognize it and then they sit there pikachu face like why haven't we had a female leader what and i'm like really girl really mm -hmm. and it was it was very cute this video it was very cute you know i was like wow <laughs> okay girl especially because most of the women in the video because they showed all all of the girls they had leanne woods they had caroline lucas theresa may nicola sturgeon arlene foster all the girls joe swenson was there pretty much all those women and more have probably been on the receiving end of social media abuse um, and, and negative harassment, things like that from some men in the Labour Party whose misogyny goes unchecked. So I just thought it was cute. I thought it was very, very cute, very funny, very adorable. But, um... So so I, I guess they figured now is the time to have a female leader and it should definitely be Rebecca Long-Bailey. Um, I guess all the other women that have ever come anywhere close to being leader were not good enough because, well, I don't know. But apparently she's the one. She's the one and only woman that deserves anything. Uh, okay. <laughs> I guess, I guess you guys are pretending to be feminists now. Okay, cool, cute. So, like I said before, I'm kind of recording these as and when throughout the week as things happen. 
Jess Phillips has dropped out. She thinks she's not going to win, so she dropped out, which is fair enough, and I guess it's sensible because it means she's not essentially throwing money at something that's unobtainable. Um, and it means she knows when to quit, which already puts her ahead of the previous leader of the Labour Party, who is still technically the current leader of the Labour Party, but there we are. Um, Rebecca Long-Bailey... I keep talking about her because she keeps doing weird shit. She said, fucking hell. I'm from Salford. No one messes with me. Honestly, this woman and her fanboys are so cringe. They're trying to push this whole, you know, Rebecca's like the super tough, you know, northern gangster, she's from the streets, she's really cool, and, and, you know, all of us stands, we're really cool too, we're also from the streets, we binge drink, we get into fights in the name of our socialist princess, like, really, really, guys, it's embarrassing, it is, this whole, girl, they was trying to like come up with all these different chants. They were like, Rebecca Long Bailey, no surrender, four day week and a three day bender. And I'm like, girl, you're not about that life. Shut up. You don't, girl. You are that, you know, two beers and done bitch. Like, don't sit here and pretend, okay? You were that guy at the student union bar that would like be throwing up and you know call in your ex even though she told you not to get in touch because you're weird um after you'd had like two apple sour shots don't sit here in front like you have the facilities for a three-day bender okay your liver is an infant it's it's just so cringy i don't understand why they're trying to push her as this like super cool you know kind of candidate like Realistic, she's not cool. And that's fine. Not everybody has to be cool and relatable to engage youth voters. Right? Like, if she creates policies that get young people excited, they'll like her. This whole thing of trying to make... (laughs) Make her this, you know, kind of tough-as-nails, super-cool candidate is weird they did the same thing with jeremy corbyn and yet despite using the same strategy twice again just a reminder she's absolutely not the corbyn continuity candidate um they tried to make him seem like super cool and amazing and i'm like this is a guy who cycles everywhere and spends a significant amount of time in his allotment why are you even discussing binge drinking in the same sentence as this man? What are you doing? <laughs> and I don't know, somehow it's even cringier with Rebecca Long Bailey because I just, I look at her and I just think, why are they, why are they pushing this image on her? It's weird. It's, it's embarrassing. But, um, but they are. Um, a debate has been announced for the the Labour leader candidates. 
I guess I'll watch. It'll be fine, I guess. I don't... I don't particularly... I mean... You know, it is what it is. Um... So... The, uh... The, um... The Brexit thing. There's been an update on that. Um... So, Boris Johnson's Brexit bill is sort of happening, the withdrawal bill. But, um, every single one of the devolved assemblies has not given consent. And what what that means is, um, so Scotland's Parliament, Northern Ireland's Assembly and Wales's Assembly, London doesn't get a vote, but probably would have voted no as well um they have all voted and they have said that they do not give consent to the withdrawal bill um so if the union was fair and equal that would mean that there would have to be a discussion on where to go next um we would have to look at why they're saying that what their concerns are with the withdrawal bill, what they want to do. But the union is not fair and equal, it is a scam. So Boris Johnson's probably just gonna proceed and do what he wants. But it is significant that every single devolved assembly that got a vote voted to to withhold consent on this legislation. Um, and it is significant that the prime minister is probably going to ignore them um, because it really, kind of makes clear that the union is is a scam really um <laughs> a lot of english commentators again this is coming as a huge surprise they're like oh, what no way i'm so surprised that the devolved assemblies voted to withhold consent and oh my god i'm so surprised that boris johnson's gonna ignore them and i'm like I mean, fair enough, Northern Ireland has not had a functioning devolved assembly for a while. Um, so fair enough if you didn't know about that. But the Scottish Parliament has clearly been heading this way for quite some time. And there has been significant moving towards this position also from the Welsh Parliament. So, well, the Welsh Assembly, I should say. It's, it's not technically a parliament, but you know what I mean. So... Really, you didn't see any of this coming? You, uh, I mean, <laughs> Northern Ireland and Scotland as countries voted to remain. Um, and, you know, they... Really? Really? <laughs> and again, it just kind of signals how very England-centric a lot of um, political media in the UK is. Um, because, I mean, they, you know... All the, all the girls, they want to go and cover Westminster because they think it's exciting and sexy and fun. And so they, they don't really pay attention to what's happening anywhere else. So it tends to be just kind of journalists and commentators from, you know, those other countries in the Union, from Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales, who are covering those things. And so then all of the, the Westminster correspondents who 
And, and see, this is why I have a problem with it. If they if they just openly said that they only cover England or they only pay attention to England, fine. But a lot of these people, they will talk like they're experts on the whole of the UK. And yet they, they are surprised by this and they didn't see it coming. And I'm like... Really? For real? Okay. Well. Um. <laughs> cute. Um. I mean, I'm just a girl with a podcast and a slight obsession with BBC Parliament, and I knew. Why didn't you know these journalists that have sources and information and contacts I could only dream of? Why didn't they know? You know what I mean? It's a bit. Yikes. Um. <laughs> But yeah, so the devolved assemblies and parliaments have said, no, we do not want to proceed with this, but it is likely that Westminster will ignore them and will do it anyway. Um, because like I said, the union is a scam. Um, so, I mean, that's, it's unfortunate because a lot of people, especially people in England, still looking at this will not see that there is a problem. They will not recognise that there is a problem that should be addressed. Even if you still want the union to remain intact, surely you would still want to discuss what can be done rather than just saying oh the union's breaking down oh no acting like there's nothing you can do well there is you know even if you want to save the union me personally I don't care so much to do that but if you wanted to then you have to talk about compromise you have to talk about respect you have to talk about being willing to acknowledge that the different countries in the union have different needs and different priorities. Um, currently, the government of Westminster are not willing to do that. But if, you know, if you're somebody who claims to want to save the union, then that should be what you're talking about rather than just sitting there acting all surprised that, you know all three of the devolved parliaments and assemblies that have votes on this issue voted in a way that was quite expected. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think if you're, if you're so fixated on saving the union, you should at least learn about the other countries in the union. But I mean, that's just me. Uh, <laughs> speaking of unions, um, this is the European Union though. Um, so, as part of the withdrawal bill, um, EU citizens in the UK are granted what the government is calling secure digital status, which can't be lost, stolen or tampered with. Now, what that means is it's essentially a code that they put in to a website and then it comes up with what they're their residency status is. So it'll say, you know, yes, they have the right to remain or indefinitely to remain or, or whatever they have. 
Now, the problem with this is that EU citizens are not happy about it, and rightly so, because they want some actual documentation. Because, well, would you trust the government? I wouldn't. <laughs> Personally, if it was me, I would I, I would want a document too. Um, I mean, it's it's useful for having something yourself that you can know for sure that they can't, you know, because they'll sit there and they'll say, oh, it's digital, it can't be lost, it can't be, you know, I mean, yes, I will grant them, it probably can't be stolen, I think it probably couldn't be tampered with, but it definitely could be lost. If there is a data loss in the Home Office, it is very possible that, that people's status could be lost. And it's not like this is the first time that the Home Office has lost a bunch of people's data and lost essentially people's status for residency. We, we literally had a scandal not that long ago involving people who were told, you can trust us, we'll make sure that people always know what your status is. You don't really need documents. It's fine. And that ended with people being accidentally, using air quotes there realistically, people being accidentally deported to countries that they had had no connection to. So you can understand why people are a bit apprehensive about this. But the government, even though the, the House of Lords said that that should be looked at it should be changed the government are like nah we're not going to do that we're, we're not going to give them any kind of documentation because i mean yeah you can totally trust the home office and by that i mean you can't at all um so it was, it was a bit it was a bit cringy it's a bit cringy i'm not gonna lie um because they're just they're clearly not listening to people they're just, they're just not. And they're just still just proceeding with what they want to do. And they can do that because they have a majority. And so basically, no one can tell them nothing. They don't give a shit what we think. They're just going to do what they want. And... It's really unfortunate because I don't see a way that that changes. We have several more years of this. Of them essentially just doing whatever the fuck they want. And that's kind of really depressing, really. Um, and who do we have to count on for the opposition? Fucking Labour Party. <laughs> um, um, obviously, there are other parties in the opposition, but Labour is the primary opposition, unfortunately. Um, and well, they're in a right fucking state, uh, one of their new intake of MPs, Zara Sultana, who already was causing controversy before she was even elected because she, you know, there were allegations of anti-Semitism. There was allegations of um, bullying while she was at university, that she had been bullying other students. So naturally, Labour kept her as a candidate despite her having a lot of controversy surrounding her, because of course they did. Um, 
she used one of her first speeches to bring in letters showing her student debt and yell at the Tory benches about how it was unfair that she has student debt um, when a lot of them don't. Now, she is, as far as I know, she's only about a year younger than me. Um, I'm going to be real with you. I too have a lot of student debt. <laughs> um, I have not paid that much of it off because <laughs> as it all turns out, um, you know what else is a scam? Cause it's not just the union, the creative industries. <laughs> I am not super rich, so I'm not earning, um, enough that they are taking significant payments for my student loans like you know I'm paying it bit by bit it's not hugely noticeable um and even with her new job as a member of parliament with the paycheck that carries it's not going to be that noticeable and in the UK or in England I should say specifically because obviously things are different um in other countries. For example, in Scotland, they don't have tuition fees. And yet everyone keeps yelling at their government. I, I don't know why that is. Um, so our, our student loans, um, they don't like directly impact on things like credit scores. You know, I, I've never been denied um, things because my student loans impact in that way. Um, so, I mean, it's really something you can ignore. You know, you may have to pay off, you know, a little bit every now and again, but it is something that can just sort of trundle along in the background. <laughs> um, because, you know, if you reach a certain age as well, they just write it off. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping to get to that point. But... Uh, so she was yelling about student loans and tuition fees. It felt very much like a stunt to me. Like she wanted to get in the news. And so she started yelling about student debt and bringing up her own student debt and what have you. But I feel like it was a missed opportunity um, to talk about maintenance grants and student bursaries, most of which are gone now because of the government. As far as I know, she didn't really mention this um, in her speech or whatever. Um, I remember when I was at university, I, because I came from a poorer background, um, I, I got maintenance grants, I got some bursaries and scholarships and things like that. Uh, but I also had to work. Um, there were some some months where I was working um, 25, 30 hours, sometimes more, which didn't actually give me all that much time for studying, I might add. Um, but I was having to do that just to be able to survive and to be able to pay rent and pay my bills and, you know, pay to be able to get to campus and things like that. Um and that is going to be even harder for today's students because there are less there's less funding available to them 
there's less in the way of grants and, and bursaries and things like that. Um, and a lot of the time, this can lead to poorer students having to drop out because they just they can't afford it, you know, and, and they're not able to devote as much time for studying because they're working so much. I feel like if you're going to talk about student finances, that should be what you should talk about, because that's something that actually affects people in a real and immediate way. Um, that is what's causing people to drop out right the fuck now. Um, tuition fees if you get student finance, it's probably not something you really have to think about in a major way. But having money to live on, that is something you have to think about. And I feel like if she was going to pull this stunt and, and try and... Because it, it, it was very blatant that she was doing it to try and get on the news because all her colleagues are retweeting it and talking about it. Um, and she keeps tweeting about it to try and, you know, keep the attention on that. Um, but if you were going to do a stunt aimed at students, I feel like she went about it the wrong way. She's talking about something that really, realistically, is not something that most students are thinking about. I remember when I was at uni and this was around the time of the... the there was a, a huge protest um, in London and in some other parts of the country about tuition fees. Um, because this was, um, I went to uni just as the coalition government were coming in and they raised tuition fees, even though the Liberal Democrats said they wouldn't. Um, and people were very upset. Um, and a lot of people, you know, you know, a lot of people in my year and in my classes were saying, oh, we're going to go and protest. Are you coming? And I was like, no, nah, man, I got to work you know I, I <laughs> tuition fees you know in the grand scheme of things it's not really gonna affect my life but not having money to fucking eat or get the bus to campus that does affect my life that's what I'm worried about so you know it's gonna be even worse now because there's even less funding available to essentially top up the very tiny maintenance loans that you get um and workplaces are even harder to survive you know um, especially for students who are much younger they're going to be paid less wages than someone of my age for example um, and their employers are more likely realistically to take advantage um, and there are less protections in place to 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 stop that happening um so many people across the UK are in insecure work that is, for the most part, exploitation. And so students are in those workplaces. There's less funding available to them, which is leading to high numbers of, of students having to drop out. That is, in my mind, a more immediate issue than student debt. And it just seemed like... It felt very much like she was trying to copy the whole American thing. You know how Bernie Sanders and, and Elizabeth Warren, they're just yelling about cancel student debt or student debt is bad, no tuition fees, you know? And that's applicable to America because I think their situation is different. But here, tuition fees, tuition fee loans, not as much of an immediate problem. And it kind of made her look really out of touch. And I mean... 
she makes a fair point. Yes, it's kind of unfair that people of my and her age, you know, uh, will, you know, or there is an expectation we should pay that money off. And, you know, we were not entitled to free higher education, but somebody of Boris Johnson's age was. Yes, that is a little unfair. Sure. Um, but yelling about that doesn't help anyone. If she wanted to help anyone, she could have stood up and she could have seriously campaigned for bursaries or for more protections for younger workers or to equalise the minimum wage so that there isn't a tiered system where younger workers are paid less. But she didn't do that. She just stood up with her student debt letter and screamed about how it's unfair on her and what have you and I feel like if that's an indication of the opposition we can expect from the Labour Party well then we're screwed I've just realised that I pronounced Salford multiple times wrong in that last segment but I'm going to be real with you I'm not going to go back and re-record it because it's like 25 minutes long um and you know what I meant okay I it's hard to pronounce things when, like, you only see them written down. <laughs> and I'm from the South. Leave me alone. I don't... <laughs> this is this is the true North-South divide. Neither of us know how to pronounce the other side's places. I, If it helps, I think they're very pretty. I, I, I do. I think the North is beautiful. But I'm sorry to any Northerners listening who... <laughs> who who were um, unsettled by my incorrect pronunciation. Are you looking for a platform where you can have your voice heard? Find your home and find your voice on Rumble, the brand new video platform where you can share your thoughts, express your passions and find like-minded people and creators. Download Rumble from the App Store or visit rumble.me to find out more. It has um, come to my attention that this show is coming up for its 100th episode in a couple of weeks. Um, I've, I've had quite a few emails, comments on social media, DMs about it, asking if we are doing anything special. Um, I am. I just don't know what yeah, because... <laughs> I want to do something, but I, I, I don't know what. I, I'm thinking we could do a, a giveaway or a contest or something. I think that would be fun and cute. Um, but I will let you know. <laughs> um, so I'm going to plan some stuff for that. But I just wanted to let you guys know that I am aware that the 100th episode is quite close at this point. Um and it is pretty crazy to think about because honestly the show is like the longest I've ever committed to anything as an Aquarius you know how we are so um um, I would probably elaborate on this more and talk about it more on the 100th episode but I'm just really grateful that um that you guys have uh been part of this with me and and it's really great um you know, getting to hear from you and getting to share uh, my work and my life with you and 
and uh, long may it continue, <laughs> uh, as it were. I mean, it's weird because, you know, I, I think I started the show in 2017, I think. Hang on, let me check, because now I don't know. <laughs> but I can... Oh, let me just, let me just go in here and... This is how organised we are. <laughs> is this your favourite part of the show? <laughs> and and I say it all the time, but do you know what? I think I'm going to do this on desktop. Jesus Christ. This is why this show needs, like, a producer or something. But I feel like if it did, it wouldn't be the same, right? I'm just going to, I'm just going to assume and pretend that you said yes there. Yes, Jennifer, we love your crazy nonsense. Oof. Okay, so as I'm speaking to you now, this is the 97th episode. So, and yes, yes, the show did begin in 2017, which is insane because I was like forever ago. Um, so let me just, one, right, 97. Okay, so the 100th episode will be the 16th of February. So, like I said, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something to celebrate that. <laughs> um, but I will let you know closer to the time what that something is. Um, I'm sure it will be very fun and festive and celebratory. And I hope that you will be part of that with me. When do we dare to discuss that I'm expected to be empowered by the way his hand finds its way to my throat? But if I were to find freedom in slitting his, then suddenly I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm insane. I'm definitely going to prison. I suppose violence and murder are only male pursuits these days, apparently. Not for girls. Not for dainty, saintly little girls. Is it the lack of orgasm that's the problem? I mean, <laughs> I thought this was a game. I thought we were just playing. I mean, they always say it's a game when it gets to court and they have to stand up. It's a game. It's a game. It's not her fault she didn't know how to play, but it was a game. That's what he would have said too. But why is he always player one? Admittedly, for me, it would have been a different kind of relief, a thank fuck he's off me kind of relief. He seemed so nice when we were just talking kind of relief. They would have said it was my fault kind of relief. I didn't want to play his sex game kind of relief. I didn't want a jury musing over my underwear choices to decide if I deserve to die kind of relief. Why should my body count decide if my body should be in a morgue or not kind of relief? My life might be over but it's mine again kind of relief. Rather than a porn taught me that she looks sexy when she's close to death kind of relief. Maybe 
if you can't decide on the rules, you shouldn't play games. So, in the last uh, few years, there has been an increase in cases where a man kills a woman, normally quite violently, and the defense is, it was a sex game gone wrong, right? And then the media will pour over this girl's life, talk to everyone she's ever slept with. During the trial, all that would be dragged up too. It will be, you know, she had slept with lots of people. She had an account on this website. She was wearing this kind of underwear, you know, and all this kind of stuff to to basically examine whether or not it was okay that she died. Um, and I mean, I think about that a lot. I also think about the fact that content where women are in violent situations is not only being pushed to men, but it's being pushed to women under the guise of being empowering. Personally, I've never found it empowering to have someone be violent towards me. Um, but considering that in pretty much all of these cases, it's later found that the man is consuming this kind of content at an alarming rate, almost being kind of radicalised by it, in a sense, to the point where he then eventually kills somebody, then is that something we should be selling to women as empowering? I mean... I'm just saying, how many more women have to die before anybody evaluates that? I mean, you don't really see cases like this in the in the reverse to the same rate. You do not see many cases where a man turns up dead, brutally murdered, and a woman will come forward with a defence saying, oh, it was, it was a sex game, gone wrong. It was an accident. Didn't mean to kill him. I did horrifically violent things to him that, you know, any logical person would think would probably kill them, but it was definitely an accident and I shouldn't be punished. And there are plenty of men who go their whole lives without hurting someone like that. So why... Why is there a group of men that everyone seems so desperate to allow to get away with this? And why are we then pushing content like this onto people and telling them it's empowering? I don't understand. I, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get what anyone gets from this whole situation. It's crazy to me. But um, I had some thoughts. So, I wrote about it as usual. <laughs> um, but like I said, you know, there are t 
tons of men all across the world who have gone their whole lives without hurting someone like that. So why is there like a small group of men that think that they should have an excuse to get away with it? Like, I don't, I don't understand. As, as a mess. So this week, you may have noticed if you're on social media or if you have the misfortune to have watched Question Time last week, there's this guy who has a lot of opinions. He also has an album to sell that's really bad, um, which is probably why he's suddenly unleashing all of these opinions that the media relentlessly covers and everyone on social media gets angry about, which leads people back to his profile, which has a link to the terrible album. But Lawrence Fox has a lot that he wants to get off his chest. He thinks that um, racism is boring, but he also thinks that having Sikh characters in the movie 1917 is racist. I know. Um, basically, he's just throwing out random shit posts about racism and wokeness and vegans and... You know, he's just trying to piss off everybody he can because he pissed off some people on Question Time. Noticed that it was a viable PR strategy because everyone suddenly started paying attention to him even though nobody gave a shit about what he was doing before. And so suddenly he is, you know, he's trending on Twitter. He's getting thousands of people mentioning his account every day. He's getting quote tweeted by accounts far bigger than him. You know, and he's getting a lot of press all of which mentions his album, I might add. Um, and so it, it, he's getting attention for for being a twat. Um, I would do this because, of course, I have a new record coming out soon and a, a new book, but I, I just, I, I don't think I have it in me to consistently be a cunt for several days to get attention. I, I, I just, I can't. Anyway, um, so he's doing that. And one of the things he keeps arguing is that he, um, he, he keeps arguing about privilege, the idea of privilege. So um, he thinks that that doesn't exist. He thinks that as an idea, it's offensive. Um, I mean... Okay, cool. But what I really want to talk about is in the British media and the British entertainment industry, there are undeniably a lot of posh people, a lot of rich people, uh, people who come from rich backgrounds. Um, and a lot of them seem to be very upset when you mention that. 
Um, because Lawrence Fox is not the only person. He is a guy, he comes from a family of performers. He comes from a rich family. He went to good schools. He had every advantage handed to him, really. So it's actually kind of weird that he's so bad at everything he has chosen to do because if you've had the misfortune to uh, see that viral clip of him performing on Jeremy Vine then wow anyway um you know you would think with all of the money and all the all the advantages he's been given he would at least get good but I mean I guess it's true what they say money can't buy everything um but he, he refuses to acknowledge that that even plays a factor in it you know, the fact that his big performance on Jeremy Vine, if you watch it, it's literally him sort of awkwardly strumming a guitar and just kind of talking lyrics in this really hoarse voice while his backup singers do all the actual work. And yet he thinks he has no privilege, <laughs> which is laughable, really, because, I mean, how else does he think he got on one of the most popular daytime shows to promote his record. How else does he think that happened? Because I can tell you right now, it was not because they were like, you know what, this guy is really good. We should get him on the show. That is not what happened here. Um, like, let's be real. Um, one of the other big examples I can think of, and this comes to mind because I was on Twitter and... Uh, there was a, a post where you were supposed to quote tweet with your controversial TV opinions. And I said about how the TV show Fleabag probably wouldn't have been made were it not for the fact that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is rich and posh. Because that was a big thing a couple of months ago. Somebody pointed that out. I think it was a, a columnist pointed it out. And she went off her fucking nut. She just all the time she was like, no, that's not true. I still would have written this story if I was in a different position, even though quite a lot of the storylines in the show Fleabag revolve around the character being rich and posh um, and coming from a posh background. But sure, you would have written the exact same story if you had never had those advantages from birth okay um and you know she's talking about how her, her background didn't play a factor in it and I'm like well how many people from different economic backgrounds do you know that were able to go and put on a show at the fringe and not worry if it failed or not and then make a tv show out of it like how often do you think that happens to poor people sweetheart like realistically but the the problem was is that because a lot of people that work in the entertainment media are also rich and posh a lot of people were sort of protecting her from that and they were coddling her and they were saying it's okay Phoebe it's all right you're still cool we still love Fleabag and we love you because you're so relatable and cool oh we still love you oh my god and it's like because I wish no ill will against this woman and I think she seems nice if not a little naive um but she seems very much in denial about 
how her circumstances in life probably helped her career. And so is Lawrence Fox. And it's, you know, it's not the only situation where this happened. There was an interview that went viral during the promotion for the new Star Wars film where a journalist asked Daisy Ridley about the same thing. And she was like, oh, no, I feel like, you know, me and, and all my other castmates, you know, had the same journey. I don't think privilege comes into it. And then they brought up um, John Boyega and she was like, no, no, we had the exact same journey. It was fine. And it's like, Daisy, sis. Girl, Miss Deng, my love, come on, be real about this. And I mean, I don't think that acknowledging privilege exists is a bad thing. I don't think it has to take away from someone's hard work because most of the time, even with, you know, advantages that you have in your life, you're still going to have to work hard. Um, some more than others, obviously. Someone like Lawrence Fox is not working very hard at all. Um, but, you know, in a lot of cases, yes, you can have advantages, but you still have to work. And you still have to work hard. And that's fine. But acknowledging that you, you had some, some advantages is not necessarily a bad thing. But a lot of people in the British media, in the British entertainment industry who with a quick google search you can find out they had a lot of advantages they will still delude themselves and in some cases lie about it and pretend like it's not a thing and i'm like this just makes you look like a dumb bitch <laughs> like why lie about it you know what i mean like I, I feel like if they were more honest about it and they didn't just sit there pretending it's not a factor, I don't think people would care, really. I think if they were honest about it and they said, yeah, you know, I I had a, a, a background that allowed me to pursue the things that I loved and I'm very grateful for that. I think if they just said that, people would be like, okay, cool. And that would be the end of it. But it's the fact that they insist on going, oh, no, no, I don't think it really factored in. No, it wasn't important. And it's like, girl. See, that's what pisses people off. It's like, if you're just honest about it and you say, yeah, yeah. My, my circumstances meant that I could, I could do what I wanted to do. And I'm grateful for that. That's all that needs to be said. And it would go away. Nobody would probably question them on it ever again. Um, it would never come up. Nobody would care anymore because it had been acknowledged. Everyone moves on. But it's the fact that they drag it out and they try and pretend it's something it isn't. And it's like, well, you've kind of bought this on yourself, haven't you? <laughs> it's a bit cringy. Um, you know, I see that myself in, in the kind of work I do. Um, there are a lot of people that I have um worked with over the years you know during you know my work you know in music and poetry people who are very delusional about how their life so far and their circumstances affect their current position and they will sit there and they'll talk about weird shit like it's normal like about like their parents paying their rent or, you know, their parents buying them performance slots and shit like that. And I'm like, 
I've met more people that have gone to like private schools, fee-paying schools and shit like that. You know, schools with the posh hats where they teach you Latin and shit than I have anyone else. And they don't seem to be willing to acknowledge that that probably gave them advantages that a lot of other people don't have. And I'm like, you could just say that. And you know what's worse is that a lot of people who come from those kind of backgrounds where they have been given advantages and they have been given um, these things, like I said, rather than just saying, yeah, I had this and it helped me and now I'm doing this, right? They will try and craft this kind of different backstory, um, you know, and they'll try and pretend it was something different and they'll be like, oh, you know, I had this and I had that. But they always go over the top. They'll be out here talking like, yeah, I was homeless for a while. And it's like, <laughs> and then it always turns out to be something like, you know, mummy and daddy cut me off for a week because I answered back at dinner. And so I went and I stayed with some of my friends in Kensington or some dumb shit like that. And it's like, well, then you weren't, I mean, cause you're out here acting like you was on the streets or something, but you were just in a different like mansion, but okay. <laughs> I just, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people in the British entertainment sector need to be more honest with themselves. And they they need to acknowledge the truth about where they came from. I'm not saying that posh people and rich people should never pursue creative things because, I mean, that's their right. If that's what they want to do, that's up to them. I'm not saying they shouldn't. But what I am saying is people are not thick. And we live in a time now where it is easier than ever to find out the truth about anything. Um, if someone lies about something, you can find that shit out straight away. Um, there are so many different ways to do it. And so when they, when they sit there in interviews and they lie or they try and downplay, you know, what's happened and how it's affected their current position, or they make up some fake backstory to try and make themselves seem more relatable or more interesting. It's easier than ever for us to find out if you're lying, so just don't do it. Like, do you know what I mean? I, that's cringy. That's, that's weird. I, mm. <laughs> I had the, I had the same thing when I was at uni as well. Um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of regular people, but there was also a lot of like posh people and rich people who were trying to pretend like they weren't. And it was, it was very cringe. It was like, just be honest about who you are, you know, because how is anyone ever gonna know you and who you are and like you if you start off everything by being fraudulent? Like, you know what I mean? It would be great if there were, if there was more diversity in terms of, um, well, everything in the British media. Um, 
including, you know, economic class. But, I, I mean, I think there are some barriers to that. And I don't just mean financially, economically. I don't just mean that. I mean the fact that, you know, people will... In my experience, coming from a, a poorer economic background, either people are kind of instantly repulsed by that and um, because they live in this happy little rich person bubble they they haven't quite learned how to not show that um i've had experiences where people will like openly tell me shit like you should get elocution lessons which i actually did for a while it it didn't stick obviously um <laughs> Probably because I got them off of YouTube rather than like paying for them. But <laughs> um, I've had people, I've had experiences where people thought I wasn't listening and they were talking about me and they were saying, oh, she's very good, but she sounds rough. You know, she needs to figure that out. She needs to fix that. And, you know, things like that. But on the other side of that, on the other end of the spectrum, there are people who sort of almost fetishize that I'm not from the same kind of background as them. And so they're like asking all these invasive questions, you know, like, what was it like living on a council estate? Cause I've, I've written about that before and I've talked about it. And I always get questions about that now. And they're like, oh, what was it like? Did you see any stabbings? Did you see any drug deals? And I'm like, well, I, I don't really want to talk about that to be quite honest. <laughs> what the, I, I just you know I'm here I'm trying to talk about my work I, I don't really what the fuck <laughs> you know or, or it'll be like um you know because I I didn't grow up in a nuclear family I've talked about that and so I get sort of invasive questions about that you know um people asking about what it was like uh, like they're also dumbest shit as well like oh, what was it like going to a comprehensive? And I'm like, I was really just trying to get my GCSEs and get out of there, love. I wasn't, you know, taking notes for, for this kind of occasion. Like, do you know what I mean? So either you get people who can't really hide their disdain for the fact that you're not rich too, or you get people that will treat you like you're some kind of curiosity or you're some kind of animal in a zoo. And I think that is a barrier to working class people entering entertainment as well as all the other factors um, that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, and, you know, so when people say we should have more class diversity in entertainment, especially British entertainment, because I cannot stress to you enough how fucking posh it is. Um, <laughs> you know, it's all well and good to say that, but how do we fix those problems? How do we stop someone like me, for example, being seen as, you know, either some kind of, you know, scourge on, on the set list or some kind of freak show exhibition you know what I mean how how do we I mean really that's not a problem I can fix I cannot give other people 
you know, humility or empathy or basic politeness. I, I cannot give that to other people. Um, that is something they have to learn themselves. But how do I tell them that without them freaking out? And how do I tell people, if you have been given advantages, that's not, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Just be honest about it. Be open about it. Don't try and masquerade as something you're not. Um, just tell the truth. How do you tell people that? How do we... I mean, everybody... It's it's a hot topic that comes around every couple of months about the lack of class diversity in British entertainment. But nobody wants to actually acknowledge that, you know... <laughs> it's kind of... It's... it's it's a problem that can be solved, but we have to be real about it. When Phoebe Waller-Bridge threw her little tantrum because people called her posh, the media just kind of bowed down to her. I was like, yeah, oh, poor Phoebe. Oh, poor old Bean or whatever, you know? And they, they coddled her. She was being shown basic reality. Miss Thing, your family is landed gentry. You're posh as hell. You're rich as hell and that's fine I guess but it is the truth she has her little crybaby moment and then the media is there with tissues and you know profiles of her saying about how relatable and cool she is and I'm like <laughs> and then like a week later these same journalists are out here talking about creating more diversity for social classes and I'm like maybe if you didn't keep enabling posh people's delusions that they are basically the same as working class people maybe this wouldn't happen because that is essentially what it comes down to it is you know posh people wanting to be convinced that they have had no advantages they've had no privileges their lives would have turned out exactly the same if they had grown up on some you know, drug dealer, adult, council estate, as they all seem to think the rest of us come from. Um, I mean, for the record, <laughs> there were some drug dealers on the council estate where I lived when I was growing up, but I mean, I didn't have much involvement with them and it's not like they were just openly, you know what I mean? It, it It's never as, it, it's never like they think it is. I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, that delusion is enabled. You know, they they can continue to pretend that, you know, even if they had been from a completely different background, everything would have worked out the same. And realistically, that's not true. Maybe they would have got to the same place eventually, but it probably would have taken a lot longer. Um, and they wouldn't be as together as they are when they get there. Because when, when you don't have a, a clear path, sometimes you have to give away parts of who you are. Because it's, it's a harder journey. You have to sacrifice more. You have to pay more to get across that toll bridge and get to where you want to go. And, you know, so we're not the same. 
Realistically speaking, we're not. And if you want to create more diversity, and frankly, if posh people want to stop having people talk about how posh they are, and they don't want to talk about their privilege and things like that anymore, well, then stop lying about it in the first place, basically. on my website jenniferwan.com and all my social medias the username miss j squared pretty much everywhere um i'll be doing some live dates uh over the next few weeks you can find all the details on my website and come out and see me and we can hang out and and read poetry and it'll be very fun um uh the new record and book are on the way, but you can pre-order and the details are in the description as well for that. Um, thank you to my top tier Patreon supporters, Amanda, Kylie, Melissa, Anna, Sam, Katie, Christina, Josie, Gabriella, David, Elena, Alicia, Emily, Andy and Tyler. I love you guys so much. Um, if you want to support this show and lots of other free stuff that I do, like videos, free poetry collections, um, all the website content I do and all that sort of stuff, um, then you can uh, through Patreon or Patreon, I don't know, however you say it, that thing. <laughs> uh, you can subscribe from $1 a month um, and up, which gets you exclusive content, um, free merch, free, free things, um, early release stuff, um, and lots of exclusive things. Um, you can also do one-off um, donations if you want to through PayPal and Coffee, and all the details for that are in the description or on my website. And I will see you next week. Good night, my love.